Last week, we talked with a YouTuber with a large and quickly growing following about keeping a huge audience in community. In this episode, we talk with one of the most dynamic and authentic speakers in the nation about passing down a legacy of faith. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Hey, everyone. Welcome back once again to our podcast. We are super excited. We have the fantastic Janae McDonald Wilborn back with us today. Uh, if you remember from our previous episode a couple weeks back, she is just a phenomenal speaker. Uh, her insight in that little clip episode was just so good. If you haven't listened to it, definitely hop back there and take a listen. Uh, Janae has a really awesome background. She has um so many stories that we just get to hear today, including some church work, some nonprofit work and experience. She works for herself now. Um, she's married to just an incredible man, has two great kids, homeschool part-time. Like she is a professional juggler in the best sense of the word. So Janae, thank you so much for coming back and doing another episode with us again. Absolutely. It's good to be back. Thank you guys for having me again. Absolutely. So, Janae, I know some of our listeners heard the original one, but would you tell us again just a little bit about your background, whatever you'd like to share? Sure. So I am uh, the youngest of two living kids. My parents had three kids. They were um, we were in southeast Texas. I was born in the 70s. Shout out. Um, And um, let's see my parents so they had a son who passed away before we were born my mom was pregnant with my older sister so that kind of plays into the dynamic of like my life and worldview and family dynamics even my marriage it's been interesting see how god uses all the things but um so i was born we're 20 months apart we were sisters so we were kind of you know doing all the things together um Mm -hmm. live in our small city where our town wasn't tiny but it was a smaller city in texas near the louisiana border and um at the age of almost 10 my dad got transferred with his company to saudi arabia so we went from you know texas town church attending family with all of our cousins living you know around the corner we went across the ocean to live in the desert in a completely new environment so that's kind of the first big shift in my life. And it was a huge like paradigm shift mentally for me mm-hmm. um, at an age when I didn't even know what that was, but it was happening. I was living <laughs> it without understanding what was happening. And we got to travel overseas. You know, when you live over there and you take vacations, you don't come back here and go to the Grand Canyon. You go to the Swiss Alps and you do all the things. So um, it was really cool. Like, but you know, at 10, you take it a little bit for granted, but you also are old enough to know this is not normal. Like mm-hmm. it, it starts to become your norm, but you also still have cousins back home who, you know, going to Houston was a big trip for them. So like it, I did know I was doing something amazing and that I had an amazing opportunity. So we did that for three years, three and a half years, came back to the States, moved to the East Coast, which has a very different vibe and pace of life. Um, my parents immediately, you know, found a church for us to attend there because um, in Saudi, there was no church. You can't have organized church in Saudi Arabia. Sure. At least you couldn't in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's changed still. Um, and so we um, were on the East Coast and we were outside of the D.C. area in Northern Virginia. 
um, which Northern Virginia is basically more East Coast than it is South. The rest of Virginia is the South, but Northern Virginia think like that East Coast vibe. That's kind of where the breakoff um, happens, right? There. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's a, almost a line drawn on the highway. You can see it. Like oh no, we're there's done. no it's more funny waffle houses. There, there's no more boiled peanuts. No, no, Whoa. no, no. I didn't know about boiled peanuts till I married my South Carolina boy. I didn't oh, know they existed. So, so yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a very, in fact, when you live there, moving there was interesting. People who were from there would be like, well, we're from Northern Virginia. And I'm like, why, why do you say that? Why don't you say you're from Virginia? I'm like, what, what's happening? Um, and then I realized, oh, this is like a thing. Okay, got it. Um, so that's where I did my high school year. So my high school, like those adolescent, eighth grade through 12th grade were like on the, in the suburbs of the Capitol. We were very like politi politically tuned in. Mm -hmm. as high school students because it wasn't just like this far off thing it was like right there like we would go yeah. into dc on the weekend and there'd be a protest or a march or a you know a, a rally for something you know around the mall and you know the mall being the smithsonian mall not the mall where you <laughs> the mall of went to contempo <laughs> casual like different mall um yeah so it was just a different so like i just went through a lot of different i lived in like three i feel like my childhood was split between three very different points of view and perspective and Following along with that, that whole time, my parents were Christians and believers, and they were awesome. I had the really great parents. I still have them. They're still alive. They're really great parents. And um, what, what they didn't know how to do, and they would say this themselves because they hadn't been taught, was how to like m talk about the Bible in conversational ways, how to blend it mm -hmm. into our lives, how to you know, explain that we do this because it says this. And that was something they came to learn to do when I was in college. They were, at, they found a church when I went to college that was really teaching them to study the Bible for themselves and understand it and apply it. So growing up, it was Christianity to me was much more do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. Just don't do that. And yep. I was very inquisitive and I went to a magnet school for science and technology. Another weird random fact about me is I'm super <laughs> science math nerdy. Um, Although I ended up being an English lit major, so uncomplicated. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, but like I had, I was in a school where we were constantly being taught to ask questions, to dive deeper, to explore, to find out reasons why. And then I would go to church and I would try to ask the same questions and no one there could answer those questions. It was mm. just, you just do it because you do it. So I made a conscious decision. There was also some like pastoral drama and turmoil and some failure in the pulpit, which happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And we get confused. And I watched, I wasn't disappointed by it because I didn't like put those people on a pedestal, but I watched the adults around me um, struggle with it and mm -hmm. watch the conflict that came out of it and their uncertainty and just all the drama. And I was like, these people are like, this is too much. And so I just made a conscious decision that church and wasn't for me. Still believe there was some sort of, you know, man upstairs, God, but I'm not getting all this like details of rules. I'm not going to follow those. I'm going to live my life. My favorite phrase, um, <laughs> such a stupid phrase because you're living your life no matter what, but whatever you keep believing it. Um, and that's me talking to me at 19. Um, but so then I went off to college. Um, I, uh, being a person who chose to not believe in Jesus, it made sense that I went to a Baptist university in Texas um, and I went to Baylor and um, even further confirmed for myself that church wasn't for me while I was at Baylor, but um, got a great education, great degree, loved my Baylor experience, graduated, moved to Houston, Texas, and just began to quote, live my life um, with my own, by my own rules. And I like to say I had center standards. Um, center standards are like, I'm not 
like I, I don't believe that I can't have sex, but like she's a hoe, so I'm okay. Um, that weird comparison <laughs> life yeah, that you yep. do. Um, so I kind of lived that way. Ended up at 24 getting pregnant by a guy that I was no longer dating and didn't want to be dating and decided to make the very intellectual, I thought, choice to smartly have an abortion. Um, that sent me into this subconscious emotional spiral, um, I'm going to call it, because I I didn't realize it. what was happening inside of me was linked to like the God-given uh, desire and instinct to be a mother that he puts mm. in you. And I had done the complete opposite of what I was supposed to do as that mother. Um, and so what was happening inside of me was a complete loss of a sense of self-worth. I no longer, where I was overly confident, like super confident always, mm-hmm. um, I lost all that confidence. I no longer thought I deserved the best guy and no longer thought I deserved the best anything. And mm-hmm. I had a good job and I was doing well, but I pretty much picked a guy that would be, he actually did violate every rule. I had a rule list that I made when I was 15 and like really smart at 15. Um, <clears throat> of like all the things that I will and will not accept in a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And like, he broke all those rules um, Mm. completely. And, but I no longer, and I didn't even see that. It's amazing to look back and know what was happening inside of me. But at the time I was like, I'm not worthy anymore of those rules. Um, And that went on for about a year. And then thankfully I had a wake up call moment where um, I was just on the edge of having like a Jerry Springer experience, like just on the edge (laughs) in real life. Just like right, came real close. I was like, oh, that almost turned into like crazy TV stuff. This is not my life. What's happening? Like I'm too like together and smart and like well-educated and prepared for life for this. Um, and that was enough for me to go, okay, God, what's happening? And I did, I do remember saying like, okay, God, if you're there, like I need you to show up and prove it. Mm. Um, which, you know, a really humble prayer. Um, <laughs> but I did the list. I made a list of like, these are my parents and I admire their life and I see them as successful. So what are they doing and what am I doing that's not the same? And like, I could check off all these boxes of like college and da, 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 da. And then I got down to like, well, they go to church and I don't. So it's like, fine, I'll go to church. And that was my, you know, okay, God, you know, I'm going to go make sure you show up and do something big, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But on a good show for me because I'm coming. And I walked into a church in June of 1999 in Houston, Texas, and the pastor was doing a series on forgiveness. And his message that day was, um, Christ has forgiven you, now you can forgive yourself. Well, and wow. I mean, he was like two sentences in and I was sobbing. Mm-hmm. I mean... I was like the Michael Jordan meme for like the entire time. <laughs> yes, I, um, I know that meme. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what I like. Just put picture that. And that's what I looked like the whole time and um, gave my life to Christ that day. And, you know, I'd heard the salvation, like the gospel message my whole life, but it never hit till that moment. And that moment it was real. And it was, I needed Jesus. I knew wow. I was a sinner. I knew I needed him. And for me, I'm an all in go big, go home kind of girl. I'm an eight. If you're an Enneagrammer. Um, so, you know, let's do it. Like, once you tell me we're doing it, we're doing it. So I was like, okay, I'm for Jesus. Let's go. And everyone's coming with me. Um, (laughs) so I, I kind of did a very hard left turn and started going to church and started going to Bible study and y'all teach me. And this church was great because they had like, 
um, first you did a course, it was like the old Blackaby study, like um, experiencing God that like really helped you understand oh, yeah. like some of the basics of theology. Like that's a classic good one. I still tell people to do that. Um, and then I did like how to study the Bible. They were using like Howard Hendricks book on that and Bible study methods. And so cool. I learned how to read it myself, which it never made sense to me that I wasn't supposed to understand this book. Like I was like, why am I like, why do you have to interpret it for me? Why can't I? get it on my own. Why is it so complicated? Mm. And then I was like, oh, it's not complicated because the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. How about that? Um, and then I did that and like our church, like they took you through all that. And then they took you to like a spiritual gifts class. And I did everything I could to make sure I didn't score high on teaching. Um, <laughs> like intentionally, I got a zero. I got a zero in teaching. So it was clearly intentional. Um, I got like helps, which is like the behind the scenes person. I've never been a behind the that's scenes person. That's not a thing for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know you very well, but yeah, I'm pretty no, sure that's not. <laughs> I will help, but that's not where I'm spiritually yeah. gifted. That's just how I was raised. Um, <laughs> But I'm like, yeah, that's me. I want to be behind the scenes. And then they like have you like check off ministries that you maybe think you want to serve in. And so I was like, oh, I'll do anything except like youth ministry. So I ended up in youth ministry. Um, <laughs> and I fell in love with these teenagers. And there were these amazing teenagers that were at this church who were giving their life to Christ and praying eloquently and like changing, talking about like, I'm not going to have sex anymore. And I'm like, what is happening? Like these are like 16, 17, 18 year old, like captain of the football team guy saying this like what wow. what is this place how is this even a possibility and um it was just really cool for me to like their lives were light for me like i was there as a volunteer like leader but really for me they were the ones leading me in the way they were living and showing like what could what was possible and wow. it was in that season that i felt called to ministry and i checked again and it really was they dialed my number correctly. And um, once I knew God hadn't mistakenly reached out to me that he actually wanted me to go into ministry, um, <laughs> I did what I do when you're a nerdy person. You're like, well, if I'm going to do it, I need to go get taught some stuff. And so I went to seminary. So I went to Dallas Seminary and got a degree. I have a master's in Christian education from there. And um, really quickly got to seminary and realized it was going to be really easy to get lost in like the books and the yeah, theories totally and mm -hmm. so found a church that was nothing like my seminary um that was very um uh driven towards reaching like lost people and it was a perfect it was the perfect thing to partner with being like in the deep theology seminary life like i could read all the old people's books that are dead but had good stuff to say but then go like do practical ministry Mm -hmm. um, at church. And right. I ended up um, doing an internship there and tried to stay in student ministry because by then I was like, student ministry for life. I'll be going to camp every year until I'm 80. Um, <laughs> and then uh, in my internship, I was trying to intern like with students and that. And then the woman who was over women's ministry was like, I don't want you to come work with me. And I was like, oh, no, I don't do women's ministry, but that's nice. So, of course, I ended up interning in women's ministry because, again, God has a sense of humor. And... Um, <laughs> Got hired um, on the single staff, did singles, was over adult ministries at one of our campuses, did women's ministry, did our assimilation, baptism, newcomer, anything that you ever had to do with the church, I at some point was leading or helping lead or helping make happen. And you were probably um, like leading tons of volunteers years. at that time as well? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, at one point, oh gosh, yeah, we had, you know, get a lot of big teams. It was a pretty, I was at a campus. So at our camp, I went, oh, from the time I started, I had volunteer teams and singles, there were volunteer teams. Um, I was at a church that 
had multiple campuses. So at the whole church was probably between 20 and 30,000 people. Our campus where I ended up for most of my career there was um, still about a thousand, 2000 people. So I was always leading teams. So I was leading, you know, greeters and I led the cafe team and all volunteers, um, which is fun mm-hmm. it is. Um, so and challenging and all the things. And I think the great thing about leading volunteers is they don't work for you. So you actually have to learn how to lead people to do something that they want to do with their own free time, which is completely different than leading people that you're paying to do something. Because when you're paying them, they're going to do it because they want to get their paycheck. Um, When they're volunteering, you have to have to figure out how to make them catch your vision and be excited to do the thing that is good for other people but is asking them to give of themselves. Um, So that was great. And I mean, I really, I cut my teeth through that. Like truly, I learned all the ways I wasn't good at it and then all the ways I could be better at it in those seven years. And it was amazing. Um, What are some of the biggest takeaways that you have from that in terms of leadership things that you learned? Wow. Or what you learned about Um, yourself? So the first thing I had to learn about myself was I can't do everything myself. Um, cause as a eight, um, I want it done. I want it done right. I want it done on my schedule. I want it done the way I think it should be done. And I'm just going to plot. It's just easier if I just do it myself. That was very much a mindset <laughs> I was in for a while. If I just do it myself and it's fine if I'm working 24 hours a day and I only sleep for, you know, 20 minutes because at least I got it done. Um, and I very quickly learned, not only is that not healthy for me, it's stealing from someone else. You're stealing in the opportunity for other people to find their place Absolutely. and their gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not good at everything. Like, let's right. just be real. We're not good at everything. So when I finally started to figure that out and ask for help, it was amazing to see people blossom and mm. how much easier it was for me to say, Hey, here's this thing I need you to do. You run with it. And like, then watch them take it way beyond what I imagined it could be because it's not my strength. So like, I'm not a decorator. Like I can make my house look nice for you, but I'm not like super artsy crafty. I mean, now that I'm a homeschool mom, I'm way better than I used to be. But back then I definitely wasn't. And I remember I had this awesome volunteer who was a very like shy person, not not a bust in the room, hello, announce themselves. (laughs) She could make a room so beautiful. And I remember when I said to her like, hey, can you come up and help me decorate for this women's event? And like, she's like, yeah. And she would like, she was there for hours. And I'm thinking like, I told her it would be like two hours and she's been here all day. And I'm feeling guilty. Like I did something wrong, but then I get up there and she's so excited and so happy. And she has transformed this room beyond. And I'm like, I gave you like some tissue paper and a pipe cleaner. And I don't know what happened. (laughs) She's like the MacGyver of of, uh, Like, like it wasn't water to wine, but it was tissue paper to silk. Like, I don't know what happened, but it looked beautiful. (laughs) And, and that's when I started to realize, like, I was all this time that I was trying to do it myself. I was holding these people back from really finding their place in, in this community, in the kingdom and, and figuring out that their gifts matter to the Lord and that they Mm -hmm. were given to them intentionally and they could use them for great things. So stepping back and letting other people do it. And the other part that goes hand in hand with that is it may not get done the way you would have done it. And that's okay. Yeah. That's a tough one. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Absolutely. Um, That's also one that applies well to marriage and parenting. (laughs) And business (laughs) and just anything. (laughs) Everything. Just, you know, you can use that everywhere. Like it may not happen exactly the way you would have wanted it to happen, but it still served them well to get to do the thing. 
and it took it off your plate. And there's things that you're specifically gifted. You know, I'm a gifted speaker. And a lot of times for our women's events, I was speaking at our campus. And that was the thing that needed the most of my time was preparing that message. And so if I, when I stopped trying to decorate and put the name tags out and set up the drinks and set up the whatever, and I let my teams do that, and I let them do it, you know, I maybe had to come in and say, this absolutely won't work because we're blocking a fire exit and the fire marshal's gonna come get us. Like those kind of things <laughs> I have to say. But otherwise, it's like, okay, you, I would have set it up a different way, but this, this, let's see if it works. And sometimes it was saying, let's see if it works, knowing they're going to probably come away and say, I think we should have done it differently. But that's okay, too, because I let them learn and grow. Like, mm -hmm. if you do everything mm -hmm. for them, how do they get their own growth? Because I grow from getting things wrong. If you had to put, like, a little, like, rule to it, like... It, let's say in your own mind, you're like, if I do this, it'll this will be like a nine or a ten, just because I know what needs to happen and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And if they do it, if they do it to like a level seven, yeah, or level six, that that's still okay. We're gonna do that. We yeah. just obviously we can't have like a, a fire and everybody dies or something. But like. right, right, right. And you don't want it to be awful. Like I don't want it to be a disaster. Right. I don't want mm -hmm. it to be a bad experience for other people. So if I can look at it and say like a seven is probably that right number. Like if mm -hmm. I can look at it and say. It's still for people walking in, going to look good, flow well. No one's going to walk in and have a bad experience, but they may come back and say, we should have done this different or this better. Or Usually it's more like I saw how they could have made it easier for themselves sure. as mm -hmm. the people running the event. And that's one that sometimes I would wait to do in the debrief and say, okay, how could you have made that easier for yourself? I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, we never should have said this part like this part made it so hard on us we never should have said we'd give the prize tonight we should have said you know everybody enter the drawing and we'll announce the prize at the next event because yeah. i would have drawn the back and sure we wouldn't have been over in a corner trying to count 300 pieces of paper to figure out who won <laughs> yeah. i think it's a piece of the puzzle I... a lot of people miss though is that is the debrief that's a mm -hmm. big deal because like you, you do the thing and you're like oh okay it's done it's over and I then you move on to the next side. thing and forget to like yeah. go back and week mm -hmm. yeah well and one thing that i love is that you care enough about the people around you say so i'm going to open up opportunity for you and that happens in uh volunteer work it happens in business too when you choose to hire someone that's yeah. opening up an area where you're saying i am willing to let go a little bit so that someone else can have something to do because people are looking for those opportunities mm -hmm. but then also on your volunteer teams the fact that you let them perform at a seven and then you let them go through the debrief, like you cared enough about them to let them fail in a safe environment. Like yeah, to fail in yeah. front of you is safe. To fail in front of like out there, like out yeah. in the world, that's not necessarily a safe space. And so I always look at it, if I'm going to fail, if I'm going to get up and try something, I want to be in a group of people who are going to pick me up right. and then go forward and to give people that opportunity to fail around you and that you actually help coach them to that next level of leadership is so important. And I think sometimes we forget that, that when yeah. we open up opportunities, we're being generous, not just, it's, generosity isn't just financial, but generosity and experience. Absolutely. And I think you also have to keep in mind that, like, if you're not, like, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't my church. Like, I wasn't the senior pastor. I was on staff. So there were definitely standards that came from above me that mm -hmm. I made sure we always met those standards. Yeah. I wasn't ever going to let them fail in a way that the bigger higher up was going to come up and say like what happened here so there were basic things that i was like we can't do like a great example uh where i was on staff you didn't put a sign up with a piece of tape right like there mm -hmm. was no taping a piece of paper to a door like we didn't do that if we didn't have a printed sign you put a person there to tell people what you needed to tell them that was just 
our standard of excellence at that church. So I, I am, I knew that was the standard of excellence. So if I saw the piece of paper, I'd be like, okay, we can't do this. Like this we're mm-hmm. going to fix. Yep. You know, so I think it's understanding the difference between what has to get corrected in the moment. And then you maybe can later debrief and say, this is why, because sometimes you don't have time in that moment to give them the full why. And that's why, again, the debrief does matter because you need to circle back around and make sure they understand the heart of it. And not just like, I have an issue with signs with tape. Like they need to know. <laughs> I, don't I like just it. don't like tape. Um, I just don't like tape. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I had like a bad experience when I was six. No, it's not that. Like <laughs> That it's an excellent standard and yeah. that there is something about walking someone to a seat versus pointing them to a seat. So there were those things that I never let. And, and when I saw them, I didn't let those things go. Um, and there's also, as a leader, you have to be willing to accept any negative feedback that might come from above you because you allowed your team a little bit of room and you own it. You don't, when you let them fail, you don't then put the failure on them. You have to say, well, that was like, their idea. <laughs> right. You can't do that. So, right. I mean, that was something that I took very seriously. Like if something went wrong, I'm going to sit in the meeting and be like, that was my bad. I am so sorry. I should have caught that that I shouldn't let that happen. It won't happen again. I'm not going to say, well, that was Josie over there because she's crazy and didn't know. Even if Josie is crazy, I'm still not going to throw Josie under the bus. And I think that's where a lot of leaders fail their people is they maybe give them that room, but then they throw them under the bus if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. And you've got to, you know, if your leadership is taking the responsibility, it's taking the bullets with the accolades. And um, you, 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 you should be jumping in front of bullets for your team not using them as a human shield um, to just take that metaphor all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, you mentioned something earlier, and I want to kind of jump into this because I think this is a big deal. So in in Legacy Builders, we talk about different types of legacies. We've got financial legacies, philosophical, like faith-based legacies, and family legacies. And you mentioned how even your parents would say, like, we didn't really know how to pass down, like, the faith part of this well. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what what are things that parents can be doing now to help their bring their kids along into things that really matter to their family. Yeah, I think so much of it is, you know, my husband and I talk about this a lot because what we both had Christian parents who loved us really well and faithfully, you know, have lived lives of faith and modeled lives of faith for us. Um, and then we talked about like, what did we not get when we were younger that we want to make sure our kids get? So for one, if you don't know your own faith well, if you don't know what you believe and why, if you're not comfortable reading your word, the Bible, you need to get there. Like mm-hmm. you've got to get there with you. And I really think, honestly, a lot of times sitting with your kids and going through whatever kid lesson they're going through is great. Because if you don't know the Bible well, like I used to tell people that when they joined the church and they'd be a new believer and they'd have kids and be like, well, great, watch the FC Kids video with them. Watch the whatever, <laughs> you know, ministry, Seeds ministry, whatever you're doing that's out there. What's the one with the songs? Is that Seeds? Yes. Yeah, yeah, where they have like the worships. Them. It's yep. so great. Like watch that with them and take that in because, you know, have them memorize the verse, you memorize it with them. Um, But also I think giving it legs, like helping them understand how these things apply. So um, a conversation we have right now, my daughter's seven, my son is five. So they're in second second grade in kindergarten. So we're still very much in that concrete thinking stage of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, you know, like all the superheroes and we like all the, every show or book or everything for little kids has like good guys and bad guys. So a recent conversation we've been having a lot is like, in real life, everybody's a bad guy, nobody's a bad guy. 
Hmm. Like we're trying to help them under because they'll look at like something that happens in real life and be like, is that a guy, bad guy? And like there, there aren't bad guys. There are people that God made that are made in his image and all people have a choice and all people choose and everyday people choose and all people sin. And just like you make mistakes and we'll kind of relate it to them. Like just like you smacked your brother yesterday and because <laughs> mm-hmm. you were mad and you know that was wrong. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a sinner. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're a bad guy that has to wear, you know, the black hat and be the villain in the story <laughs> forever. Like you can, God is going to, re- can redeem that. He'll forgive you. Your brother will forgive you and we can move forward. So even the worst of humans can be forgiven. And so I think it's really having, talking things through, watch their shows with them. I mean, they are annoying. They're kid shows. I get it. Like you get tired of the shows, but we watch the shows with the kids when we can't, we don't watch every minute. I'm not going to like present some, <laughs> sometimes they're watching the show and I'm making the dinner. Um, but when they are watching a show, we watch the show with them sometimes. And we'll just, if we see like really bad behavior or if they're telling us about it, We'll talk about like, well, was that the right thing that they did? Let's talk about why and why don't we do that? And well, hmm. why do you think God told us that? So I think it's having just more conversations with your kids and bringing what your faith into like real life situations for them, because that's what they can relate to. Because they use all those stories right now to form their opinion of the world. All right. those shows, all those books, <laughs> all those little songs are how they're figuring out how things work. So when yeah. you can insert faith and weave it into everything, weave it into everything. Um that's genius. One of the things that we've been doing kind of recently is like you can get you can fall into a trap of like just telling a Bible story to a kid. It's like, oh, yeah. So then Noah and then this thing happened and this thing happened. But then like take it the step further and start asking the question like, what does this tell you about who God is? What does this tell yeah. you about what people are like? What does this yes. tell you about what you could do differently today? <laughs> or what yeah. character in the story is most like you? Yeah, that's always fun. That's like, a great one. I like, love that. I'm the what? giraffe from Noah's Ark. <laughs> uh, no, let's no. That is literally what my son would say. <laughs> exactly. And, and I would like to be the lion. <laughs> and another fun thing that uh, that we've done, uh, I did this a couple months ago. We got to do it again. Is like just sitting down with the kids, and being like, "Okay, what question do you have about God, or what question do you have about the Bible?" Yeah. And you will oh get gosh. stumped so fast. It's like oh. the the first question our kid had had was um. What's the Trinity? <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh my gosh. We're like, okay, we're diving in. <clears throat> Let's go right on. <laughs> sure. I'm still questioning it, but okay. I mean, my kids this morning in my car, we're having, and like sometimes I I, I think eavesdropping on your kids is really good um, because sometimes you'll hear a conversation between, like if you have more than one or with their friend and it'll kind of clue you into something that's happening in their brain that you want to follow up with later. Mm-hmm. So my kids were in the car this morning on the way to school and I, I don't know how it started, but like at some point my daughter was saying to my son, well, but he was, Jesus was never born. Remember like he's, he's always been like, that's what we learned. John one, he in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Cause she learned that last year in school. And so she's like, so he's always been, so he was never born. And my son's like, that doesn't even make sense. How can you be, if you've never been born, like, how did he come to be? And I'm like, don't ask me, don't ask me, don't ask me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, like, I'm a seminary trained person. And my first thought was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. It's too early. I didn't have coffee. Why, Jesus? Um, but I know like, I'm going to follow up on that. And we're going to talk about like, what, like, how can that be? Like, that's just it. We can't understand it. And I think that's the other thing. Don't be afraid of the things that you don't know. It's That's okay. So In fact, I think it's better to tell your kids when you don't know. I will say to my kids, I don't know. Let's go see if we can look that up. Or let's try to find, and then actually 
try to find more about it, like look mm-hmm. it up. There are things that I tell my kids, some things God didn't explain to us because we can't understand things because he's so much bigger than us. And he thinks in a way that we don't understand. So it's okay if you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I want is my kids to always be learners and to always be humble enough to say that they don't know something. That's so good. They, that's to me what makes you a more satisfied adult. If you're always willing to learn and if you're always okay with saying, you know what, I don't know. Um, and you don't let your ego get in the way, which I've never, I haven't always been good at, but I've gotten so much better at in my forties than I was in my thirties. Um, and I think tw- it, definitely in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> I think it takes so much pressure off when you're willing to say you don't know something. Yes. At least for me, because I want to know everything. So Enneagram, I'm a five. I want okay. all the knowledge oh, and all the information. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so for me to have that moment of, I don't know, it's freeing in a way yes. to not always have to know all the things. Um, but I love the practical examples because we talk a lot about faith legacies. We talk a lot about family legacy. We talk about financial legacy. Those um, tips that you gave apply to all of them. If you don't know something, go find it out with your kids. Study it together. Ask the questions together. Yeah, teach them how to research stuff. Yeah, teach them yeah. how mm-hmm. to find good answers and wise mentors and good advisors and yeah. all the pieces. No, that's good. Well, hey, we're going to ask just one more question here as we kind of start to wrap up. But uh, feel free to take time with the answer, too. So what does the idea of building a legacy mean to you? So many things because <laughs> in my mind, I think I first, I think as a fan, like the family legacy is probably where I'm in this stage of my life, for sure, putting the most priority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want my, you know, I talk a lot about like I'm homeschooling part time and we made that choice because we started to see our daughter at kindergarten full time at a school at a private school. And I just saw like the influence of other people outweighing the influence of our home and, mm-hmm. uh, and us in her life. And good or bad, it was just other voices were taking precedent over our voices. And I, I was like, she's so young for that to be happening already. Um, and we still haven't put everything in her that we want in her. Um, and right. so what I want, the, but then when I think about homeschooling, I was raised in a traditional public school, very academically pressured to make A's. And I was in like all the advanced whatever. So school was like a achiever mindset. I mean, I'm not a three, but I was a three student, I guess, in Enneagram mm-hmm. language. Um, and so I don't want that for my kids either. I don't want them working for the grade. I want them learning for the benefit of learning. Right. So right now, the legacy we're trying to create in our home is one where family and home is about a place to feel safe, a place to feel loved, a place to explore, a place to be to fail and be wrong, and a place... Um, where when you think of it, you you have images of warmth and welcome no matter what. Mm. Um, you know, I tell my kids over and over, there is nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you. There is no mistake you can make that will make mommy not want to be with you, love you, have you in my home. There is nothing you can do. And I really mean that. Um, I didn't always believe that about my parents, although it was always true, I didn't always believe it. And so I'm really over communicating it now and I hope to continue to over communicate it so they know that. Um, But I want them to look back on their years and these years with warmth. I wanted to give them that like, oh, that was such a great time in my life, that sense of security. And I want them to pass that on to their children. Like I want to prioritize family and our family so that when they make their own families, God willing, they'll prioritize it in their families. And that will be the legacy of that's what Wilborns do. We, we pass on this kind of love and the sense of family. Um, 
So that's that's probably my big one family-wise. Um, ministry, man, I just want to be a place where I speak truth candidly and where people know that God's okay with like the real you. Um, that was one of the things I struggled with growing up in church was everyone was putting on their Sunday best yep, mm-hmm. and not just on the outside, <laughs> um, but on, you know, not just the clothes, but the attitude and the fake and the right. shields. And, you know, you guys have heard me speak. I speak very candidly. I speak very openly. And I mm-hmm. usually try to speak from my own failures or my own lessons I'm in the process of or have recently learned. Um, I don't try to present myself as perfect because I am flawed and I am human and all Mm -hmm. your pastors are flawed and human, whether they say they are or not, they are. Um, And if we recognize the flaws and the failures in our spiritual leaders from the beginning, we would be less crushed when they fail and we would be more um, understanding and more gracious when they fall. Mm -hmm. And we would be focused on who we should be focused on, which Mm -hmm. is the Lord. We should be focused on the Lord in those seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the legacy I want to leave in ministry, a legacy of like openness with the gospel, but also openness with our sanctification and all the ways that we're doing it well and all the ways that we're falling short. Um, Because I think that's been missed. I think it's happening way more in the church than it used to. It definitely didn't happen when I was growing up. It's definitely more common now, but I would like it to just be the standard. I would love Mm -hmm. for that to be the standard in ministry that we just talk openly about, Hey, I don't, I'm not getting this right. Yeah. I still know what we're supposed to do. And I can still tell you what I'm supposed to do. Cause most of us can, mm-hmm. I can tell you I'm not supposed to lie. It doesn't mean I didn't lie. I can tell you I'm not <laughs> supposed to, you know, have sexual thoughts. doesn't mean I don't have them. Like all those things we need to be open and candid about because it's keeping people from the Lord. This right. idea that they have to meet this perfecting standard. Um, this 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 level of perfection that they're never going to achieve, or it has Christians trapped in legalism and not really experiencing the fullness of God in their lives because they're they're trying to be they're in this pharisaical place of like trying to be perfect and trying to right. look good. You know, they're over there polishing the outside of that cup all day long and put the cup down and let's just let's just be real real human flawed believers and lovers of Jesus who need grace and mercy every single day. Um, those are probably awesome. my big two. Yeah. Uh, great answers. Those are great answers. Those are so good. Uh, Janae, where can our listeners find you? Cause I know you have, you're just phenomenal to have so much to share. So where can <laughs> they so find sweet. you if they're looking for more? Um, well, I, you know, I said this in the, the other podcast other than target, um, <laughs> and sometimes the in and out drive through, they can find me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am jealous in and out. Oh, has it not those... come to you? Let... No. We got it just a few years back. Like, it hasn't been in Dallas long, but when we got it, it caused like literal traffic jams. Like, mm-hmm. there were so people were waiting in line in the drive through for hours. And the only reason I wasn't was I had a newborn at the time. So I had to, you can't like take your newborn to the drive through for an hour <laughs> to get a cheeseburger. <laughs> but you can send your husband and he'll love you and he'll go because you just gave birth to a child. Um, that's it for y'all. <laughs> who are having children. This is time to ask your husband for stuff. Um, right after he watches the baby come out, he'll do whatever you want. Um, That's for true. That is 100% true. Because he's still just stunned that you did it. So it's good. Um, but no, um, so I, I have a website, JanaeMcDonaldWillborn.com. And you can kind of find my blog there that I occasionally remember to update and booking information as a speaker and other good stuff like that. And then I also have um, 
I'm on, I guess I'm on YouTube too, but I'm on um, Instagram, Twitter, at Janae McWilborn, Facebook, at Janae McWilborn, all of those. So all the standards, well, not all. I'm not a TikToker because I'm 46. Um, <laughs> and I just won't do it. Um, I don't, it's not about China or rules. I just. I'm like, 33 yeah, and I won't, I I can't won't touch do it, it either. Yeah. I can't, I, yeah. like, it's just embarrassing for me to get on now. So <laughs> I can do Instagram. It's for me. Um, but yeah, I'm in those places. So definitely follow. And I've got, you know, stuff I'm working on. That'll, that's where I share it. So. Awesome. awesome. And uh, and I'll just kind of go and throw ahead and throw this out there too. Like this is purely out of uh, let's get Janae's name out there even more too. like share this podcast, share this, share, share her stuff with other people because she's got such a fantastic message that I think so many people need to hear, especially when it comes to redemption and like feeling like a failure and knowing that you can be brought up out of it. And, and honestly, that's kind of the pathway to success. So, uh, yeah, share, share this stuff around, share her stuff around. Let's see what we can do to help, uh, her ministry to grow as well. Thank Thank you so much for being on here again. It's so great to talk to you. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you having me and you guys are fun. So have me anytime. I'll come back. Ah, fantastic. You're committed. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much. Perfect. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Welcome. Absolutely. I really do appreciate it. You guys are fun. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for the next episode where we talk with one of the most successful real estate agents around about setting goals and dreaming big. Thank you for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this content and feel that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to go to iTunes, subscribe, and while you're there, leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com.